He is testing this man's devotion. He wants to see how long and how far he will follow him. He knows he's going to soon depart. He says, stay here, please. But Elisha wants to stay as close as possible to his mentor, to his master. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're winding up our study of the prophet Elijah, and today we begin to see Elijah beginning to hand over the prophet's mantle to Elisha. These two men of God are seen heading to Bethel and then on to Jericho. In our study entitled Elijah's Departure, today we'll look at the history of Bethel and of another individual whose heart and soul were changed at Bethel. Our study begins in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. We began studying this man's life in 1 Kings chapter 17, and without notice or introduction, he suddenly appears in the pages of Scripture. And we will see him just as fast disappear today, and God will take him up into the heavens. But between his entrance and his exit is a man who left an indelible mark on his generation. And he lived in a wicked and a corrupt time. Moses was the first man, and for a short time, Joshua to do miracles. And hundreds and hundreds of years went by, and no one did a miracle in Israel until Elijah and Elisha come on the scene. And the next time frame will be when Christ comes on the scene with his apostles, and the next time frame after that is still in the future. Now, God has done miracles, but he's only done them through individuals, the great ganglions of history. And this is one of those critical junctions because this is a time of great apostasy. Second Kings chapter 2 is very, very important. We're not going to read the entire passage, but I hope you have found it by now. We want to begin by reading the first 11 verses. Follow along in the Bible. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, yes, I know. Be still. Then Elisha said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan, to the Jordan. And he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. 
He said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Now, if you want to jot down some notes, there's an outline for those of you who are live streaming that you can print out. You can see the topic this morning is Elijah's departure. And there are three major truths that are recorded in this portion of Scripture that I want us to get. The first concerns the fact that Elijah's departure is foretold. I want you to see that Elijah's departure is foretold. Just to set the stage for this section of Scripture, you will remember that Elijah's battle, humanly speaking, involved King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. This couple had brought tremendous misery and heartache and grief to the people of Israel because they had brought into Israel a worship of a false god. However, things change when you come to 2 Kings chapter 1. There we discovered that King Ahab, just as prophesied, had died. And so if you were here last time, we saw that 2 Kings 1 actually began on a very positive note, unless you think that is some nasty sentiment. And you have forgotten the fact that Ahab was a wicked man, that he brought Baal worship into the kingdom of Israel. And when a nation turns from God and they open the door to evil, all kinds of blatant injustices will come across that nation. And we saw one expression of that as the people participated with Ahab in stealing and in murdering Naboth and taking his vineyard. The king, the queen, the false witnesses, and all the people who lifted up a stone took part in this innocent man's murder. And just as predicted, God justly takes his life, and he dies, and his eldest son, Ahaziah, comes to the throne. And we studied that he is a classic scenario of like father, like son. There's a change in rulers, but there's not a change in leadership style. So describing Ahaziah in 1 Kings 21, 52, we read, he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. You remember Jeroboam? He's the first king in the northern kingdom who set up two false centers of worship in Dan and Bethel. He walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. And so with Ahab dead, Jezebel, who introduced this child sacrifice into the nation and the worship of the God of Baal, continues to minister through her son, the king. That brought us to 2 Kings 1, where King Ahaziah makes a disastrous resolution that costs him his own life. If you remember, the chapter opens with him falling through the lattice and he makes a very foolish decision, and God, just as he said, took his life. That brings us to our chapter this morning, 2 Kings chapter 2. And as we step into this chapter, it's obvious that Elijah the prophet is getting ready to go home. All the prophets know it. Elijah knows it. Elisha, his protege, knows it. And of course, if you remember, Elisha, the first time we met him was in 1 Kings chapter 19 when we studied that discipleship relationship 
where his mantle, so to speak, was placed on his shoulders as a sign, as a symbol, that when he was gone, he would take the mantle, that he would become the one who would take his place. Now, if you put the chronology together carefully, I mean, you read 1 Kings 19, you read 2 Kings 2, these two chapters where these two are together, and it seems like it's very quick. But God gave us the kings of Israel who was ruling at one time. So there's a minimum of somewhere between eight and ten years from the time that uh, he initially confronts King Ahab on top of Mount Carmel to the time he confronts him over the theft and murder of Naboth. When Ahab dies, the Bible tells us that his son reigned just two years. So what I'm wanting you to see, and this is critical to our understanding the text today, is that these guys were in a discipleship relationship for a minimum of a decade. And so now we're at the end of this prophet's life, and it's felt like a whirlwind from the time he steps onto the pages of Scripture as he announces the drought to King Ahab that it will not rain for three and a half years. As he goes to the dry brook, as he watches it dry up, it was there, of course, that God miraculously provided for him. And then the brook dried up, and he went to a widow's home. And once again, we saw the miracle of the jar and the jug and even the raising of the widow's son. And God was preparing him for that incredible encounter with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Asherah up there on top of Mount Carmel. Of course, uh, after that's all over, he fled to Bathsheba, and now he is about to be brought up into a whirlwind. Now, that his life is about to end is plain from verse 1. I mean, all these prophets know it. In each of the places he goes, all the prophets know it, that he's going to be taken that day. He's in the final days, in the final day, in the final hours of his life. This is it. This is his last day on earth. What if this were your last day on earth and you knew it? How would you live it? Well, this man is a great example on how we should live our life right to the very end. How we, because one of these days, God is going to take us either by death or by rapture, but one of these days, we are going to be suddenly gone. So how are we to invest our life? There's some timeless lessons here that you do not want to miss as we discuss here the departure of Elijah. Notice how his departure has been foretold starting here in verse 1. And it came about when the Lord, you see the word Lord there, it's all capitals. It's just the word Yahweh. And so we translate that word Y-H-W-H, the Lord. Now, if a Jew came to this in the Hebrew text, they would say Adonai. Because the four consonants, Y-H-W-H, can be vocalized in one of two ways, either Yahovah or Yahweh, and because a Jew so respects the name of God and does not even want to pronounce his name in vain, when they come to this word, they will say Adonai. In either case, it came about when Yahweh, or the Lord, was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. So this is a common knowledge. The sons of the prophets knew that this was a day he was going to be taken. According to verse 3, Elisha knows that it will happen. According to verse 5, if you look down in your text, again, the sons of the prophet in this other city, they know it's going to happen. 
In verse 9, Elijah affirms it's going to happen. How did they all know? Because God had said it. God had given it by divine revelation. God had given a prophecy to Elijah, to Elisha, and to all these three schools of prophets. Now, remember, there was a time in human history when God spoke in many portions and in many ways before the canon of Scripture was completed. And as we studied in the Revelation, God is not giving new revelation today. And anyone, whether it's a Joseph Smith or a Beth Moore who has a text message from heaven or Sarah Young with her book, Jesus Calling, and they, and they write down these first-person sayings that God had given them, that's very, very dangerous. That's what the cults do. Christians should never do that. But this was a time when God gave direct revelation. Even in the early church, he did this for a portion of time. But when the canon of Scripture was completed, that all stopped. But what I want you to see is they know it. They know it by prophecy. And so that's very simple. The first point, Elijah's departure is foretold. Second, I want us to think about Elijah's departure as it is unfolded. Let's think about how Elijah's departure is unfolded. So Elijah and Elisha leave together from Gilgal. And notice what we're told here in verse 2. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now it's interesting, as you read this section, that they start out at Gilgal, then they travel to Bethel, then they will travel to Jericho, and then they will finally go to the Jordan River where they will cross over to the other side. And just like here in verse 2, each time Elisha sets out, Elisha is ordered to stay behind. And each time, Elisha refuses. He says, no, I don't want to leave you. Now, these three repeat experiences raise some important questions. Why does Elijah need to go to these places on this the last day on earth before he departs? What's the significance of these particular places? There are many cities and villages throughout Israel. Why these three? And why does God place this in the record of Scripture for you to read? Remember, all Scripture is given by divine inspiration. These things, Paul said, were written for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So this is not simply what God has said. This is what God is saying. And why does Elijah seem to be trying to get rid of Elisha so that he can go on alone? And why does Elisha refuse his master and insist on staying with him? We need to answer these questions because they're very, very important. Now, Elijah does not randomly choose the places. It is clear that God directed him from what we read in the text itself to each and every place. And the first stop that he makes is Bethel. Now, Bethel was a very special place for the Jewish people because if you remember at Bethel, it was there that the patriarch Jacob was converted. He met the Lord in a dream. And he saw this ladder that came down from heaven and touched the earth. Hold your finger here. Don't lose it. And turn to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 28. I know many of you are new to the Bible. And when I mention Bethel, you just kind of go blank. And some of us, it's so long that we've read it. It would be good for us to refresh our minds this morning. I hope you bring a Bible with you. As dads, you should show your family that the Word of God is important, that you have a Bible on your lap. You want to display that to your children. Bethel is a very, very special place. And here in Genesis, the Jews call this book Barashit, 
We get the term Genesis from the Septuagint, the Greek translation. But they call this the book of Bereshit, and it means in the beginning. The very first word in the Bible is Bereshit, in the beginning. And this is the book of beginnings. And God gives in kernel form in the book of Genesis what he's going to unfold throughout the word of God. And as you read Genesis 28, you see the evidence that this man has changed. If we were to put this in New Testament terminology, we would say that he was born again. When you're born again, when you come into a relationship with God, as Jacob did on this day, your life changes. Listen, the change is not the cause of a relationship, it's the fruit. He's dealing here not with the root of a relationship, but with the fruit of the relationship. So notice what Moses records for us here in Genesis 28. Look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, here's a photo of Bethel. You know, some places you go to in Israel, and you say, well, maybe it happened here or it happened somewhere. There's only one place. This is the only Bethel where this could have happened with Jacob. It's a very dry place, very desolate place, very rocky place. And if you look way at the top of that hill, so to speak, there's a little dome, and that is an old crusader church, so to speak. Uh, I went there the last time I went to Israel. I arrived a little bit early. I wanted to go to this place, and it's kind of out of the way, and you don't want to take a crowd there because you miss five sets to go to this site. And so here's another picture of it, but it's a little bit closer towards that dome, that crusader church. But what I want you to see is that this was a rocky place. This was a dry place. And before this dream, verse 11 indicates that Jacob had arrived at Bethel as the sun was going down that night, and he was tired, and so he wanted to lay his head down. Now, I'm a pillow man. I have to have a pillow when I go to sleep, and he was just like me, and there was no pillows around, so he found a rock, and old pillow head made a rock for a pillow, if you remember. But so far as Jacob knew... God was 10,000 miles from that place. But then he had this dream, and notice what he concludes. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Under the new covenant, we'd say, the Spirit bore witness with my spirit that I have become a child of God. And when that happens to you, there's a new reverence for the living God, a new awe for God. So verse 17 says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So he's enraptured by the awesomeness of God, and he is conscious of the Lord in a way that he had never known before. And when you get new life, when you come into a relationship with God, where you have a new birth, there's a new awe, there's a new reference, a new reverence. Look, some people, they know facts about God, and so they think that means they know God. Most Americans, at least 72%, it's dropping rapidly. But at last count, Pew Research said 72% of Americans say they are born-again Christians or Christians of one kind or another. Uh, we're in South Carolina. It's approximately 90%. Look, I doubt seriously that if Jesus came from heaven today to catch up the church, that 72% of America would be brought up in the rapture. Look, when you are saved... You become a new person. There's a new reverence. 
There's a new awe for God. To put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. The old things have passed away and everything has become new. I'm telling you, there's a day of shock that's in front of us where are multitudes of millions who think they are saved will hear from the Lord, I never knew you, depart from me. And so God the Holy Spirit puts a new desire. He puts a new yearning because when you're born from above, there's a new walk, there's a new talk. Listen now to Genesis 28 and verse 18. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. He turned his pillow into a pillar, into a memorial to God. And the text says he poured oil on it. He consecrated it. He set it apart to the Lord because he's so grateful for what God had done through this dream. And so Moses records for us here in verse 19. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means, of course, house of God. Bethel, house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Luz is the Hebrew word for separation, and so he doesn't want to call it that anymore. In essence, this is his open public profession of faith. And so when Jacob arrives there, it's called Luz. It's a, it's a place of separation. It's a desolate place. But now there's new life, and so he wants to call it the house of God. And listen, when you're born again, the Bible teaches that you will be willing to publicly identify with the living God. And that's what this man is doing on this particular day. His life is so wondrously changed, it not only affects his talk, it affects his walk. Look at verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I will return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. Now, please understand that this is not Jacob striking a bargain with God because in Genesis 28 and verse 15, God had promised all these things to him. And he knew, like we know, that it is impossible for God to lie. As Moses writes, God is not like a man that he would ever lie. As Paul writes, God cannot lie. But understand that this word in Hebrew, if, is much like the same word that's used in the temptation in Matthew 4.4, 4, where Satan said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, Satan knew that he was the son of God, and so that's why he tempted in, the, in this way. He wouldn't tempt you. Hey, command these rocks to become bread, because you can't do it. <laughs> but he knew Jesus could do it. It's a way that you express emphasis, meaning since you are the son of God. And so Jacob is saying here, God, if you'll be with me and keep me and provide for me and allow me to return safely, since you are going to do all these things as you promised, I want to respond to your amazing grace. Not only is it a new morning, this is a new man. He has changed. He has radically changed. This place is no longer called Luz. This place is Bethel. There's a stairway to the Father from this place, he's converted. Verse 22, and by the way, I hope you know Jesus uses this text in the New Testament. I have a whole sermon on it. Verse 22, this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Look, his talk has changed and his walk has changed. 
Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. By the way, this is the second time that tithing is recorded in all of the scripture. The first time, of course, was with Abraham, where he gave a tenth of all that he had to Melchizedek. This was ever before God had codified it in Moses, in the Torah. He hadn't written it yet. How did they know to give a tenth? Because God had revealed it to them. And he was in obedience to God because his heart was changed. Now, don't misunderstand the text. Jacob is not getting close to God by giving. But because he got close to God, because he was changed, he wants to, out of gratitude, give to the Lord. I mean, think about this man. If you've studied his life, what has been his motto up until Genesis 28? His motto has been to get. He was the great getter. And if you know Genesis, then you know that he has one passion in life, and it is to get. But something happened to him in this place. And so he went from a spirit of getting to a spirit of giving, just like Zacchaeus in the New Testament when he was changed. Now, back here to 2 Kings 2. You didn't lose it, did you? 2 Kings chapter 2. Go back to 2 Kings 2. The first place that Elisha brings Elisha to is Bethel, and it's not by accident. Uh, there's a school of prophets here, a prophet's guild. The son of the prophets are located here. And he brings them to this place, and this is a significant place. This would be like bringing a, someone to our Statue of Liberty today. These places aren't just drawn out of nowhere. These are hallowed places because they, are, they mark great turning points in Israel's history. Look again at 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Bethel, it, it signifies the place of the altar, the place of change, where he goes from head knowledge to a heart knowledge in the living God. And if he were ever to be as successful as a prophet... He needed to have a heart knowledge. Now, no doubt for Elijah, Bethel was a place to reflect, too, upon all the altars he had built during his life. And he had remembered how he had lived in dependence upon the living God, just as Elisha would need to do. And so here at Bethel, Elijah the prophet says to Elisha the second time, notice, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. He is testing this man's devotion. He wants to see how long and how far he will follow him. He knows he's going to soon depart. He says, stay here, please. But Elisha wants to stay as close as possible to his mentor, to his master. Look at verse 3. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel, came out to Elisha and said to him, to, to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still. Elisha once again is told that this is the day that the Lord would take his master, Elijah, away from him. And his response to these prophets is, be still. The thought of losing his mentor and friend led Elisha to tell the sons of the prophets to be still as they reminded him that Elijah would be taken that day. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at both Elijah and his protege Elisha. To listen again to today's study entitled Elijah's Departure, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and request program ELI8. The Israeli government has opened up again to tourism, so our Search the Scriptures trips to the Holy Land are officially on for September 28th to October 8th and October 7th to the 17th. Get all the details online at stsisraeltour.com. And join us again tomorrow as we continue our study of the prophet Elijah and Search the Scriptures.